All right, if you would, turn in the Bible to the book of Amos, page 843, if you want to use a pew Bible there. And so as they've said, you know, now we've taken two weeks, heard a couple people last week, a couple people this week, uh, awesome, awesome trip to Ecuador. Uh, you could see in a couple of those group pictures that there were a ton of people there. We took 21 people. We linked up with another church that brought 12 people, so 33 summer uh, volunteers helping there. We were expecting 150 Ecuadorian kids at camp. Uh, turned out that 218 showed up, and so as Sydney said very well, uh, it was hard. It was a really, really hard week, but it was a good one, and we're thankful for it. Uh, also, you saw in the video, I don't think we talked much about this last week or this week. We have never done this before, but they gave us the opportunity to distribute Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes, and that was really a thrill of a lifetime. We've never seen that before, never been able to do that. That was really, really cool. Uh, our church does this every year. It's an outstanding trip. If you would have any interest in going, know that we go every summer in July, typically the early part of July. If you would like to go, we would love for you to go, so let us know. All right? Thank you again for helping us get there, and you can see that it, that it really had an impact on many people's lives. All right, we're going to get back into the book of Amos. We started that last week. Amos is a minor prophet. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for Sundays. Thank you for mission trips. Thank you for the growth, God, that we see in people's lives like Megan and Sydney and Linda and and how you're dealing with them and working in them. Father, I pray that, that it would be what's happening in all of us, that we're growing, that you are more important to us and we are believing. God, that happens through us coming to know you, and so we've come now to our favorite part of the service when uh, we open your word. We ask your blessing upon it now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is my favorite uh, part of the summer because it feels like things are starting to mean more. All of summer's good, and y'all know that, but when you get to the end of summer and vacations are starting to be past us and mission trips are over and all the camps are over, it starts to feel like grind time. Every one of us, now I realize that some of y'all don't have kids anymore, you're not connected to schools, and none of that's on your radar, but for the most of the people that have still some kids in their lives or grandkids in their lives or schools in their lives, you know what I'm talking about. Summer is coming to an end, and it feels like the grind time. It feels like time where, okay, uh, June and July were nice, but now we need to get focused. And there's something good about that idea of, of getting focused. And while many of us are hoping, man, I hope this school year is going to be a little bit better. I'm going I'm to do my homework more. We're going to wake up and actually eat breakfast before we start these long days. You know, we start getting focused like that or talking about it. We've all lived long enough, too, to know that if we don't identify some issues or identify some problems and then we're never really going to make any changes. And if you'll remember back to last summer, we also thought then that we were going to make those changes before last school year. And then we get to the middle of the school year and we're bogged down and it's like we can't wait for summer because we need a break. And in the book of Amos, you see this same thing going on with the people of God. God is trying to tell them something, but they're not getting it. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. And so, while you might have this idea of, hey, I'm going to make some changes, man. This, this year is going to be different. This season is going to be different. My grades are going to be different. My, my work ethic is going to be different. My relationships are going to be different. If you can't handle diagnosing the problem, then it's never going to change. You're never going to get anywhere. 
You got to be able to say, okay, what is the problem? Hey, be honest with me, teacher, coach, mom, or dad. Tell me what am I wrong with. Hit me hard with it and build me up and let's make some changes. This is what Amos is like. To remind you, the prophets are people that God would talk to. God didn't just come out of the clouds and say something. And even today, people are hoping that God will give them a sign or say something to them. God, God doesn't speak that way. We look for it, but we don't find it. Then we look for it, we thought we knew it, and then that wasn't it. God speaks directly. Now he speaks through his word. Before we had the word, he spoke through the prophets. And God would come to a prophet, and he would say, here's what I want you to tell them. He would get the message, and then he would go, and he would say, thus says the Lord. Here's what God says. And this book here, Amos, is a prophet. They're small, they're short. It's just a message. And God was trying to tell his people, hey, you're not right. You're not living right. You're not my people. You're supposed to be my people, but you're not my people. He was saying this to them, but they weren't hearing it. They weren't listening. That's why last week's sermon I preached to you, and we called it The Lord Roars. Because the Bible says that. And in our, in our image there, there's a picture of a lion because the Bible says that the Lord roars, gives this idea of, of our big God saying something to us with some force, wanting to get our attention. Last week I told you that the Lord roars at the nations, and we looked in, in how he addressed all these different nations, then he turned it on his people and spoke directly to Israel and Judah. The Lord roars at the nations, the Lord roars at his people, and then thirdly, the, Lord, the Lord's roar has no match. When, when God starts talking, when his voice becomes clear to us, this is unlike anything you've ever heard before. It is loud. It is strong. It is a calling. It will grip you. It will change you. I sat there listening to, especially uh, Megan and Sydney talk, and, and Megan mentioned that she's not even been a Christian three years. I remember when they did not know the Lord. And yet the, the Lord's voice, the Lord's roaring, the Lord's calling on their life has done something to them. They have changed their life. God has changed their life, and now, now they are different. And this is what is supposedly happening here in the book of Amos as God is speaking to them. Well, we covered the first two chapters last week, and so today I want to start at chapter 3, cover a couple things, get us to chapter Six. I want to ask three questions. Number one, who is speaking? Number two, what are they saying? And number three, what are they wanting us to do? Who is speaking? What are they saying? And what do we do? If last week was the Lord roars, then this week is the Lord deals with us. If you look at chapter 3, it begins like this. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. The prophets often came with a message of condemnation and a message of judgment as a wake-up call to them, calling them to return back to God in repentance. I don't know where you're at today, but perhaps you're understanding that this is often what Christianity needs to be about. It is a message to us that we are wrong and we need to repent, we need to get right. And if you take that message and leave it by itself, it does sound too strong or too harsh or, or bothersome or whatever. And we think, you know, I, I don't need that negativity in my life. And this is where Christianity, listen to me please, this is where Christianity is unlike anything else. 
Because Christianity takes that message, wants to break you down with it. When I say Christianity, I mean God's word, Jesus' message. It wants to break you down with that, but then it follows that up with the overwhelming love of God that says, even though I've broken you down, even though I've told you that you've wronged me, I love you. I sent Jesus to die for you. Nothing can separate you from my love. I welcome you into my family. I want to bring you into my family. I want to be your father. But it is both of those messages. You have to understand that. There's a whole world of people out there who want to take that first part of that message by itself and nobody's listening to them because all they are is hate and judgment and condemnation. Nobody likes them. Nobody likes what they're saying and all of that. And they've forgotten that God loves us and that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that he's a father. And then you got these other people over here where they're just taking the second half of that message and all they're trying to say is that God loves us and it's all good and nothing really matters and they've forgotten the first part of that message and so nobody cares. It doesn't even really matter. But you start reading God's word and you see that God's message is coming to us and it's got something to it. It's got some substance there. It's got some weight to it. It does call us out. When I was in playing high school basketball in my senior year, it became a running joke with my friends. My, my coach would scream to me all the time, Josh, you're a senior. You're a senior. And he would blast me in front of everybody else. Meaning, I expect so much more out of you. You've been in the program. You're a senior. Even now, some of my friends will go, man, you remember when Flo used to yell at you, you're a senior, Josh. But him being able to get on me like that was all a part of the bigger thing to speak another message to me. But you have to be able to understand both. My dad has ripped me so many times, laid into me so many times. I don't doubt at all that he's my dad, that he loves me, that he's good for me, that he knows what he's doing, that he expects stuff out of me, that he's proud of me and all of that. Don't lose that in order for us to really be uh, effective in impacting a life that we can't do that. Both are good. Together, it is the way you lead. In God's word, this is how God is. The Bible is saying the Lord roars. My first question is, who is speaking? God is speaking. And yes, he's saying, I'm coming to punish you. And yes, he's saying, you are wrong. That's what he's saying. If you'll jump down a little bit to verse 7, it says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? In other words, Amos is saying to them, this is God talking to you. You're acting like you don't care. You're acting like you don't listen. You're acting like it doesn't matter. Don't you know that God speaks? This is what he's saying to them. Now, I know that we keep hearing today that, man, we've got just so many people in our ear. We've got this person telling us this and this person telling us this, and we don't know who to believe and, and all of that. And I realize that life's pretty chaotic. But I want to remind you here today that there still is yet but one true God. And you have to, listen, you have to make some changes in your life to make sure your ears or your eyes are attentive to him. This is what Amos is saying. It is a sad position we're in when we don't know what God says. 
when we don't know that it's God speaking. When we don't know what he is saying. When we don't read his word. When we don't go to church to hear his sermon. The Lord is speaking, Amos is saying, but they don't realize that it's the Lord that's speaking. We'll deal with it next week, but you get into chapters 7, 8, and 9, and they're starting to say to Amos, we're not going to listen to you. You're just a shepherd. Why should we listen to you? And Amos speaks up and says, hey, wait a second. My dad wasn't a prophet, and so that's why I'm a prophet. My dad wasn't one of these guys that was a preacher, and so now I just became a preacher. Y'all can't dismiss me like I'm just another voice out there that doesn't matter. Let me remind y'all, he says, I was a shepherd out in the field. God came to me, called me, gave me this message for you all. Don't act like you can ignore God's message. Who is speaking in the book of Amos? It is God speaking to his people. So the next question is, what is he saying? God is speaking, but what is he saying? Look at verse 9. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. And now look at verse 10. Here's what he's saying. Look at verse 10. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. What is God saying to them? And therefore, what is God saying to us? You're not living for me. You're not living for me. You don't know how to do that. Did you know that the Bible is a big, long book? 66 books? Long, many pages? Do you realize that it is God's way of teaching us his understanding of life, his ways, what he expects from us. And yet, if we aren't familiar with God and his ways, then we cannot be living for God. This is what he's saying here. I want to show you this a little bit further. Number one, who is speaking? God is speaking. But number two, what is he saying? Look at me at chapter four. I want to show you what he's pointing out to them. Okay? He's starting to show them that they are not living for God. They think they are living for God, but he is pointing out to them they are not living for God. If you'll begin at chapter 4, verse 4, he recognizes that they have been doing sacrifices every morning, that they give tithes every three days, that they offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. They proclaim free will offerings. He even says at the end of verse 5, you love To do that, O people of Israel. So there is some sort of religious life, some sort of activity to which they're able to say, hey, I'm not that bad. I do this and I do that. But if you've ever read the Bible before, Old Testament or New Testament, God is very quick to point out, just because you're doing something that falls under the umbrella of religion or church does not mean that God is pleased with it. God is pleased with your heart in your motive, not with what your action is. So if you look over there at chapter 4, verse 6, look at this. The end of verse 6, yet you did not return to me, declares 
the Lord. The end of verse 8, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The end of verse 9, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The end of verse 10, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The end of verse 11, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. And now the end of verse 12, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Do y'all hear this from Amos? Yet you did not return to me. Yet you did not return to me. Yet you did not return to me. And their answer is, what do you mean we did not return to you? I mean, I feel like I've, I've always had you. I've always been with you. What, what do you mean? And God is pointing out to them that what they are finding their comfort and strength in is not what you find your comfort and strength in. Christianity is us turning back to God because we need him and we need forgiveness. Christianity is not first and foremost the good that we do for God. It is the good that we do for God. By all means, it is the good that we do for God. But it is not that first and foremost. It is, where are you? What position? What is your foundation? How would your heart get that way? What is your heart? What is your motive? What is your why in what you're doing? And then the good that you do for God. If you read the Gospels, you will see Jesus time and time and time and time again point out a religious person doing something and him saying, I'm not pleased with that. Somebody going to worship, I'm not pleased with that. Somebody praying, I'm not pleased with that. Somebody giving money, I'm not pleased with that. He loves to point out that alone, that good deed alone does not worship me. And a real simple question is, why not? And the answer to that that Jesus says over and over again is because your heart is not set on God. You're not turned to him. You've not come back to him and said, oh, God, forgive me. God, I know that I've sinned against you. God, I need you. Because when you turn, listen to me, when you finally turn your life to God, surrender, give up, say, God, I need you, forgive me. The answer to that turning to him is that Jesus died on the cross to make it all right. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Jesus died for your death. Jesus rose again for your life. Jesus' new life can give you new life. But if you skip the part about Jesus dying on the cross and the resurrection, you've skipped the whole thing that God created so that we could know him. Your heart does not get fixed or healed. You don't get a new heart. You don't get new life. You don't get the Christian life. You don't become alive to God until you have dealt with your wrongs and seen Christ's work on the cross and come to know Jesus. What is God saying to them? You need to return to me. By pointing out, you did not return to me, 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 he is saying, you need to return to me. I remember being in college and had a good friend, and we, we were close, and we had lots of good conversations, and they were a Christian, and so we were able to talk about things. We had prayed together, read the Bible. We had spent a lot of time together. And I remember one time, they were really acting out of line. They had blown up on somebody in a public situation, lots of foul words. It, it was really bad. It was a really, really ugly situation. And so after the fact, we were back at, at, the, at the room, and we were talking about, about all of that. And they were honestly just making more and more excuses of why they acted that way. 
Yeah, but, and, and, and I had to, or, you know, that sort of thing. And I finally said, yeah, but God says this. And they lashed out at me and they said, listen, I don't care what God says. That ended the conversation. I realized we'll pick this conversation back up another day. They're too heated right now. Now, I do want to tell you that time passed and they've uh, repented and gotten back right and they're in a good relationship with the Lord and all of that. But I tell you that so that you will hear today God is telling us that all of our lives are returning back to him. Life is a struggle. Life is hard. We all sin. None of us are perfect. And the answer to that is a turning our lives back to God, a looking to Jesus, a holding on tight, a continual holding on tight. And so who is speaking? God is speaking to them. It's not Amos. It's God speaking through Amos. What is he saying? He is saying that they need to return to God. So in other words, are you listening? Are you paying attention? And so lastly, what does he want them to do? What does he want them to do about this? I've already shown you in verse 4, they did not return to me. They did not return to me. They did not return to me. So now look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Verse 6. Seek the Lord and live. He is telling them, turn your lives to God. And the things that they are doing or have been doing or, or think that they are doing that are good need to be turned away from. Don't do that. Don't turn to that person. Don't turn to that solution. Turn to God. Seek me and live. Jump over to verse 12. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. Verse 14. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Verse 15, hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. His message is for us to turn our lives toward him. What does he want us to do once we've heard that? He wants us to get a new aim on life, a different aim on life that says, I'm now living for the things that God likes. I'm now not living for the things that God hates. Just recently, me and Noah got to spend a little extra time together, and so we were talking about Psalm 1, and it's Psalm 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the whole book of Psalms. It says, blessed is the man. The very first words in the first Psalm, in the whole book of Psalms, the first words are, blessed is the man. But do you know what it says after that before it describes what makes him blessed? You don't get into what makes him blessed until the next verse. Do you know what the whole rest of verse 1 is? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Three statements on what he doesn't do. Blessed is the man that doesn't do this and doesn't do this and doesn't do this. Why is he so blessed? Because when his life 
was woken up by the voice of God, the roaring of God, dealing with him that he needs to turn, that he's not in the right direction, that he's not doing the right things. When he heard that, he turned his life to God and then said, I want to seek him and live. I want to do what he says to do. I want to not do what he says not to do. But the message from God will not allow it to be, listen, this is what's so good about the prophets and their strong messages. The message from God will not allow us to see it as just do better. He wants them to be beat down by his judgment so that they will look to him for their strength. Next week, as we get towards the end of the book, he starts talking about how he has a plumb line. There is an absolute perfect measuring rod. He starts talking about how he will take those beat down and he will build them up and they will live. He will take those that are fallen and he will give rise to them. This is the message of God through Amos the prophet. Who is it that's speaking? It's God. I want to ask you here today, do you have an ear in your life toward what God says and what God expects? If you do, what is he saying? If we will deal with what God says to us, then we can finally start to say, what does God want me to do? What does response look like, look like in my life to God? These are the questions that we need to be asking. If we will not ask ourselves, what does response look like in my life to God, then, listen, we cannot be responding. It reminds me of all the Looney Tunes cartoons where they're floating in their boat down the river and they show you ahead that over there is the waterfall and they don't know it. And so they're just going and going and going, acting like it's all good. And they don't realize they're about to fall off the waterfall to their doom. Yet God's message is one that makes clear to us there is danger ahead. The danger is not somewhere in some place. The danger is us not returning to the Lord. The danger is us staying in our own lanes, in our own path, in our own ways without realizing who is speaking, what's he telling me to do, and what does response to his message look like. And so, real Christianity, true Christians, are not those out there doing the best in the world. They're not those that are the most obedient. They're not those who do the most good out there in the world. Good and obedience and all that is a category of Christianity. But only, only after there has been a true and sincere returning to God. A turning to God that says, I need you in my life. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. God, would you forgive me? And once we have turned to him, that's where all of that opens up to seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. For living in life is found in turning to him. If you're here this morning and your faith or your Christianity or religious life is one that just keeps going in the same direction, would you hear Amos that he says, yet you did not return to me? Do you find yourself now going in the same direction that you've always gone? 
And every once in a while you're like, man, I need a wake-up call, but then it's the same thing. Are you excited about a new season or a new school year and you're hoping it's going to be better than last year, but you're not doing anything different than you did from last year? Is your heart for God and your love for God and your worship for God something you're hoping will be better, but realistically your spiritual life is not any different? Hear the word of God that he calls us to return to him. Jesus says that whoever turns to me, I will in no way cast out. Whoever turns to me, I will in no way cast out. If you've never turned your life to God, then you're not focused on God. If you've never turned your life to God, you've not fo- you're not focused on God. May it be that God would give us this message and we would turn our lives to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Amos. Thank you for the wake-up call that is God that speaks. Are we listening? Father, thank you that Christ receives all who turn to him. Father God, may we be honest enough to see, do we need to turn to you? Does our life need a turn? And may it never be said, that we did not return to you. Father, help us to not be prideful, not be ignorant, not be wise in our own eyes, but to turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.